Deadwood Soundwell. Welcome to Fields of Glory, I'm Biggs. And I am Aaron. And Biggs, we are going to watch The Champion. We said that we were going to watch the oldest sports movie. It's actually technically the second oldest sports movie. The Knockout comes out the year before. Charlie Chaplin is the ref. At the end, I watched this movie right before we sat down to watch this one. It's definitely a sports movie, but wow, is it a different sports movie. This one is a much more conventional sports movie. In either case, I'm just pumped. It's it's over 100 years old. It's going to be great. It's like 109. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty nuts. <laughs> it's nuts. And we were talking about how like basic little stunts, like back and forth on the ropes, right? Like you hit the ropes and I hit the ropes and we cross paths and we hit the ropes and we cross paths and we hit the ropes. Like you see this in WWE, WWF, all, it's like that echoes way back man it's cool <laughs> you can definitely see the blueprint of what a sports movie will be and a lot of stunts let's just let the listener know really quick if you want to watch along with this it is free on youtube you will have to navigate syncing with us with the commercials yourself i can't really help you there because we're not watching it off of youtube per se anyway so we'll start at four three two one and then at zero press play so aaron and i are going to do that and hopefully you'll do it along and if you don't want to bring it up on youtube i'm sure you'll be able to follow along just fine it's not one of his more famous movies you know it's one of his shorts right but if you haven't seen it you should watch it it's definitely worth the watch it's fascinating i think it's worth it and worth noting chaplin kind of helps cinema get to the feature length movie too like they're all like 15 30 minutes 10 minutes you know even a minute when you go back far enough but chaplin's the one who pushes the medium forward and goes longer and longer and longer at 30 minutes at the time that's insanely long for one of these movies that's like a double bill and and you can see the same story structure we were saying like before we recorded here we had a little technical trouble but we fixed it and we were chatting about how it's like you can see very similar story structure they're just packing it into a smaller period of time and that that alone makes it really fun to watch i think all right so four three two one Okay, so we're seeing Chaplin with a cigar and a dog. We're all synced up, I assume. It's a hot dog, isn't it? It might be a hot dog, but I think it's supposed to... Oh, it is a hot dog. That's right. Because <laughs> there's a bun. <laughs> it, this, this movie opens on a man with a hot dog and a dog, and he ramrods the hot dog. I love that. It's so simple, but... Th- that This is not the first my first laugh in this movie, but I did chuckle when I saw him ramrod the hot dog and then the dog does not want the hot dog (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's that's a a weird dog in that way although he is licking his lips so he's probably just been trained to to wait it's so funny because like the whole notion of the tramp is that he's like down on his luck he's so down on his luck his his dog won't even eat his hot dog that he's trying to share yeah (laughs) it's amazing it should be said this tramp character Pops up because Charlie Chaplin just goes through a bunch of costumes and mit- mishmashes it together. Yeah. And then he comes up with this outfit and there was no thought put into it whatsoever. And it becomes his persona up until the dictator. So the, the puzzle of Chaplin or something was a documentary I watched and it talked about how 
he based his walk on the folks that he saw growing up on the streets in London and how like their bunions would grow through their shoes. Spike Dugan, a pugilist. Dun, 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 dun. God, that, the villain music in this movie is amazing. Anyway, his goofy walk that he does is based on people whose like feet are like falling apart. <laughs> and his commentary on poverty, his like every man status. It's so interesting. I don't even know. Here he goes. There he goes. There's that gate. It should be said too that uh so Chaplin is literally a rags to riches story. Yeah. Like you hear that term, but he was living in rags for sure when he was a kid. Wild. And became maybe the most famous person in the world for a bit. He's the first worldwide superstar, is what this documentary said. And and according to that, it's right about this time. Like this is right about the time that this character here just erupts across the world. There's all these people who pose and try to do it, but nobody can. This guy's one of a kind. All right, he's sitting on the bench. So he had this contract where they basically offered him $150 to come in and do movies. He was making $50 a week, basically clowning, like going from show to show yeah, and doing clowning things. And he came in, and I think his first short, he basically just got hit by a car. Yeah. And uh, they they really did not like his performance. And then the next short, he just hobbles together the costume, steals the show, and just rises. Th- that boxing movie you were just talking about, that was a Fatty Arbuckle movie. Yeah. Which, if you know the history of Fatty Arbuckle, I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty on it. Crazy. He basically had a giant sex scandal that was completely unfounded and untrue, but destroyed his career altogether. So he started working behind the camera because he was unemployable in front of the camera, even though he was one of the most famous stars. They're both such complex people. It's so interesting. He's learning to box on the bench. Yes. And uh, the guy next to him is just totally shell shocked. <laughs> like he's looking at him like <laughs> yeah. calcimined. He wants his face calcimined. 1915 bags. Should be noted too, the score on this was basically put in there by Chaplin. He worked with composers and they put it in later, like after sound had been introduced. Right. Um, and he was having a slower period where he was still making movies, but he was having big gaps between movies. And so he went through to a bunch of his shorts and rescored them. For a lot of these, they would have a score like a piano score, and they would have a person that would like play. And, and so it would be very kind of similar maybe to this. Yeah, like an organ player. I don't know. Oh, I guarantee that's what they did. They either made up music to play over it or they sent sheet music with it but they were churning them out so fast i'm almost willing to bet that they were not doing sheet music the documentary said he was making like three to five of these a week (laughs) and and that a lot of them are real improvisational just based on the concept but then they really like like refine and hone on the gags that they pick to put on the final shot so They'll improvise and improvise and improvise until they get the gags just right. Yeah. Look at this guy. Look at him mugging there in the corner. Look at him. That's the punch out stuff. That reminds me of punch out. This guy feels like a Mike Tyson punch out caricature. He looks like Glass Joe. Yeah. And just the way he mean mugs the audience. He's like literally taking it to the audience. So they drop this first guy and he's just totally out cold. 
this other guy goes in there and he's got all these fancy foot moves. This is your classic, all the fancy footwork and one punch and he's out. Makes me think of the Indiana Jones where he just one shots the guy with all the fancy sword work, except obviously it's just one punch. Yeah. Yeah. Just one, just boom down. down. (laughs) And then, (laughs) so this is where I laughed out loud. This was my first laugh out loud. Just look at him sitting on it. (laughs) He really does a lot of business with that cane too. Like I kind of forget that he has a cane sometimes. He fans himself right here. Yeah. That made me laugh. But he'll just like hook things with that cane and, and mm-hmm. uh, he uses it a lot. Like there's a lot of business with that cane. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And then our next victim is going to to get KO'd by the boxer. I don't think they even show this guy. They just. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. No, no they do. this okay. guy. They, this is funny because they put the stretcher. They bring the stretcher in before yes. they even start. <laughs> before he even goes to like fight him. They- this, right? This made me chuckle like this. So we said when we watched Kingpin Biggs that that comedy is generational. And I was like, I think some comedy is forever. And I feel like there's moments in this movie that help me make that argument. Like, I agree with you, but I also think that we're older and we're willing to look back at things. It's true. You got to be willing to watch this movie. Dude, I'll be honest, man. I saw some silent films when I was a kid. And I bet that whether you wanted to or not, you saw one or two of them as well. Yeah. So we've been kind of primed with them um, in our lifetime. Like when I look at my kids, they're just, they're not watching this, dude. <laughs> not even for a it's second. True. I was watching a Charlie Chaplin documentary before we went to watch this, and my kid wanted no part of it. No. <laughs> well, I didn't really either until I started doing this project. Like I'll own that. Like I've, this is my first one I've ever seen. I told you my buddy Nate was really mad. He's like, it's really sad. This is the first Charlie Chaplin movie you've ever seen. And I'm like, it kind of is. Yeah. But also, I dig it. So he's got a horseshoe that he found on the ground in his left glove. Biggs, the cheating line is here for the very beginning of season two. I love it. Yep. It's yeah. Immediately goes to cheat. And this would fit right in with my hustling block. Cause he hustles his way into this fight. <laughs> There's no yeah. question about it. Yep. Just knock it down the boxer over and over again. Just blast. <laughs> One of the keys to Charlie Chaplin's <laughs> tramp character is so at the same time you have Buster Keaton going, who's also a down on your luck character, but Buster Keaton's characters are always very lovable. They're never mean. There's not a mean bone in their body. The thing with the tramp is <laughs> he codes for being low class, yeah. but he punches back. And I mean, literally in this movie, but every movie he's in, he's always getting the upper hand on a rich guy or like some form of rich society or people looking down on him. He will literally kick them sometimes. He'll steal from them. He just does all kinds of things, and he usually gets away with it, too. So it's like an aspirational character, which is perfect for when you, when you do a boxing story because you want the under the plucky underdog, right? Yeah. And that's exactly what he is. The uh, Important Cinema Club podcast did a uh, thing, episode, Charlie Chaplin paid for it all, July of 22. And they talk about one of the things that really distinguishes Buster Keaton from uh, this guy. I call this the boogada turn right here, right here. He does the boogada, boogada, boogada turn right here. I love all of this where he's chasing the boxer, not like not just away from the ring. Watch this slip right here. The slip, the slip. I got to get back to my story here in a second, but watch this right here. Ready? 
I had to rewind that and watch it again. I was like, that's but so good. first he punches the cop in the face, yeah. dude. And and then we see the boxer way out on a dirt road. Okay, go ahead with your story. Well, they were saying on their show that the thing that really distinguishes this guy from Keaton's character is that Buster Keaton's character is like trying to make do and trying to work and earn it. Whereas the tramp makes a lifestyle out of being incapable and poor. He, 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 he's good at everything but work, they say. He's, if he makes a cocktail, it's the best cocktail ever. If he boxes, he's the best boxer ever. But when it comes to doing any work that matters, he's totally ineffective and he makes a lifestyle out of it. Like this guy leaves town on the train. <laughs> he's yeah. like, no, I'm done. Anyway. He's such a, and he's so vain. I love how aware of the adoration this character is. You see it again when he enters the ring. It's just amazing. I don't know. It's also interesting to me, the business of that mustache, because Mm -hmm. I kept reading that he was kind of a sex symbol for his day. Yeah. And I really have a hard time seeing it when I watch this, but then. I was watching this documentary and they had pictures of him without the mustache. And I'm like, oh, I see it. And the second he puts on that mustache, I can't see it anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The documentary I watched said that Hitler picked, might've picked his mustache to be endearing like Chaplin. It's like, it's supposed to be an every man, lovable, affable, charismatic kind of thing. And I had never thought of that. I always thought it was just like a random, you know, coincidence. They both had, it must've been a style of the time I thought. This is a good example of a scene where you know this has been improvised a million times and this was one of the takes that they liked the most. And I just, I want to watch this. I want to be in the room while they are shooting this. Have you seen that the clips where people will do like high school, the musical, but the, they won't, they'll take the score out and I'll have a bunch of people breathing heavy and banging pans and it sounds yes, terrible because yes. it's like in the room. <laughs> I want that audio from this, you know, because it would be so bizarre. The beer jug. He just bashes that dude with the weight. Did you see that? When he turned around, he just totally mashes that. There it goes again. Yeah. Oh, boy. It's amazing. And I I love the business of the giant ceramic jug that says beer. Beer. <laughs> this is my kind of sport. This is our training montage. Yep. This is not the Rocky thing. This is chugging <laughs> eggs and going up the stairs. Like, that's what this is. <laughs> except for it's it's... Him knocking people over with a dumbbell. <laughs> this makes me think of Apollo Creed and his agent when we watch Rocky. Apollo's his trainer. His yeah, trainer, yeah. right? Like, except, you know, a little more charismatic, maybe, or uh, caricatured, perhaps. Well, it's interesting that you draw that comparison because Sylvester Stallone actually got a note from Charlie Chaplin. He's putting beer in his hair. Uh, Chaplin saw Rocky in his performance in this movie. He was like, like we're very similar and yeah. it's true. Like even they have this weird distinction that Orson Welles, Sylvester Stallone and Charlie Chaplin are the only people who have won best screenplay and also were the lead actors in their movies. Yeah. Here we have Edna Purveyance, Purveyance, I don't know how to say it. Charlie Chaplin obviously ends up like having kids with a bunch of really young women, yeah. um, teens in many cases. This is a big part of his legacy that's pretty hard to square. But it's fun thinking about how the cast for all these early movies, almost all of the cast is pretty much the same. The cinematographer was the same. 
and it's like it's like a little Monty Python troupe kind of thing going on, you know, where they're making all these little movies. Everything I read was like this. People thought she couldn't act, and I'm like, she's fine. I think she's great. I don't know. Yeah, and I think this movie is, um, it's Charlie Chaplin kind of shaping what Hollywood's going to become in a way too, because he's he directed this like he's basically in control of this. He's in a a point where his shorts are so successful that the company's giving him a bigger budget and giving him more time to make these. And this particular movie, he used as many feet of film as an average 90 minute movie would come out because his process, like you were talking about is to, he, he had no script. He would come out and he would start to do a scene. He'd have a scene in his head, but he didn't know how it was going to play out funny. So he'd do it over and over again until they figured it out. He's a real perfectionist. Apparently. They would just shoot and shoot and shoot until they got it exactly right. It's like on the level of Kubrick and David Fincher. Like it really is like looking at it. Um, there's one movie that he did city lights, which is on the AFI top 100. There's that turn again. I think he went 534 days and 500 days were on one scene Yeah, because they could not get the scene. He couldn't figure it out. And it finally came down to a car door shutting is what it came down to. So but it worked. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. I mean, (laughs) so this is an entirely different boxer than the one who left town, right? Yes. This is the (laughs) champion. And now there's this villain. I, I struggled with this guy appearing through the hole in the wall. He's a gambler. He's a gambler. And he wants to try and get Charlie Chaplin throw the the fight. Yeah. Or excuse me, the tramp, Right. He wants to the get the, the tramp to like to take a fall. Yeah. Because apparently he might be favored in this fight, right? So he's watching it. The other guy is Bob Uppercut and he's the champion. This guy's good at jump roping, I guess. Just look at the mustache and the hat and the eyes. Yeah. And it's like out of a car. He looks like the Monopoly man, yeah. but more evil. I love it. <laughs> it's so funny because it's like you see these tropes growing up as a kid, but it's like this is like where they are from. You know, yeah. it, it's really weird to try to put yourself in a headspace where you're watching this movie as though you're an audience from that time period seeing it for the first time ever. <laughs> you know, because by now in our lives, they've been reproduced so many times, you know, like. Well, and I think when you look at like Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin, they kind of lay out the groundwork for what cartoons are going to look like. Mm-hmm. That's that turn I keep talking about where he like boogie 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 does on one leg when he makes that turn. He does that like hop, 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 hop. Yep. I did that as a kid and that's like real cartoony. I think that's. Yeah. And look at his clothes. They're all baggy and they don't quite fit him. That big, like goofy barbell he had, like a lot of it's vaudeville stuff, obviously, but he's the, he's the link. Like he's the connection. He is the the person that was born in the streets of London to a dancer who goes on to make the biggest movies on earth. (laughs) So it's like, this is the bridge. (laughs) Oh, Oh my gosh. Dude, I'm not making this up. I just saw a picture, I believe, of my great, great, great uncle or grandfather, John L. Sullivan, in the background. Uh, Oh, wow. Not from this angle. And if they show it again, I'll point it out. But I saw it last time I watched this, too. (laughs) Yeah. 
it's it's unmistakable, dude. It's a very famous photo. So that's pretty right cool. there behind the guy's hat. Yeah. Huh. That's great. I get two movies with with a <laughs> descendant of me. That's pretty <laughs> intense, dude. That's very intense to think about. It's weird. Yeah, I, I really wanted to cover it last season but i was like wait until it's appropriate <laughs> it's just weird to look at that picture and just place it like very bizarre again this feels super improvisational to me when the the rings come out and he starts swinging on those again that feels super improvisational to me mm-hmm. but it's such it's such a weird concept to have a million takes improving to get the perfect take for the film like that's kind of antithetical to improv uh, but when you have cinema, that's what you can do. Yeah, it's interesting because you don't have a script. You just have a scenario when you set up, you know, and then you're kind of making the story as you go along, which is improvisation. But the fact that you can keep redoing it. Are they making noise now? Do you think like are they when they pretend to talk? Are they like, are they like saying words? Like, what are they so I always thought that maybe they did and maybe they didn't, but I was watching something on City Lights today, and apparently they were literally giving lines, and Charlie Chaplin didn't like a line that one of the actresses said, so that makes me think that they yeah. are saying actual words. It's a good fall. They take some hard falls in this movie. Like, some of the fall stunts, like, I don't know, they're pretty good. Yeah. No, there's a lot of physical stuff that's pretty interesting. Right. Those barbells, do you think they're foam? Yeah. I mean, no, it can't be. The way that that, that, that thing fell, it's got yeah. some weight. You can get some pretty hefty foam. I don't think it's foam. enough to hurt people, but no. it didn't really bounce. You would expect it to bounce if it was foam. So he know? is rejecting the gambler. Is this right? Yes. And he's just going to douse him here. This stunt, like... There's so much water. What is the point of a shower that does this? It's like one of those chemical showers you find at a university if you get bathed in acid. You're supposed to stand <laughs> under one of these things. Except it's in a gym. Like, look at how much water comes out of this thing. Sorry, they're probably not hearing the music like we are, but that's just a good villain line. Oh, I'm not hearing the music. I'm going... I. I Keeping to the true experience of 1915, no sound uh, on a computer. Where did the rings come <laughs> from? Those rings are just sitting there. Yeah, isn't this a high def? It says HD up there, 1915 HD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got the best copy I could find. Uh-huh. <laughs> a little continuity error with the rings, but I'm here for it. Yeah, there's a lot of continuity errors if you're looking for them. He does this thing. It's a little blurry. You can't see it. But in one of the last times he swings into this shot, he's like looking at the camera, like the old eye contact with the camera kind of moment. It's after he takes the villain out. It just kicks him clean out of the gym. I wonder if they ever use stunt doubles in these days, like ever. Yeah, that that podcast I was listening to was saying, if you like Jackie Chan, you got to check out these silent movie people because <laughs> this is where it starts yeah d- definitely with vaudeville being popular it's one of those things yeah that's a good false stunt like aaron i don't want to objectify her 
But uh, that is one sexy mannequin in the background. I'm just saying. I mean, just hanging out back there. Hard not to look. <laughs> and then they have all the pictures of women on, I know. on the fence. What is that? It's so... It, it would make sense in 1915, I guess. The big night. Here we are. Where are we at runtime-wise? 21.17? Yeah, it's about right. We got about 10 minutes left. We got the locker room. The locker room before the big night. So the big night starts in the locker room. I love when sports movies do that. Yeah. I love when we are in the little room and we see the player like, oh, I don't want to go out there. I don't want to go out there. And this dog is like, you can do it, Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, man. It, Yeah. I mean, Sylvester Stallone. I, I don't think he was taking from this movie, but it is weird how much it lines up. Like he even has a bulldog name. Uh, what was the name of his bulldog? It's like know. Buckus. Yeah, it's Buckus. And it was his real life dog. And so he put it in the movie. He's like saying goodbye to this dog for the last time. He's like, I'll never see you again. I'm going to go get killed in the ring. That made me giggle. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, I love this. I love the size of the crowd. I love how much smoke there is. Look at all of that smoke. Oh, my God. That's a lot of smoke. Okay. The gambler, there's a guy behind him, right? Yeah. And then a guy to the left. Yeah. Who has one of those sideways. Newsy hat. Kind of, yeah. Yes. Yes. And then he he's right next to where the guy. Yeah. Just got right shoved. There. Yeah. Landed yes. on. Yep. So that guy is Bronco Billy Anderson. Who's the first star of Westerns? He huh. was the first legit star of Westerns. Uh, and he basically he just became this gigantic shooting star. But at this point, he was just in little movies. And then him and Chaplin kind of traded off being in each other's movies for a little bit. But he would make movies up until I think the 50s. Like the guy had a really long career in Hollywood. So that's pretty cool. I love this when they're like cheering him on. You should watch the knockout, the back and forth between the face on of the crowd and then the look at the the ring. Look at him addressing the crowd. I love that. That's that vanity I was talking about. He's so happy. Yes. He's like, yes, hello. Yes, thank you. Keep keep clapping. <laughs> he's going to get killed, but he's like, they're clapping for me. I'm so happy. <laughs> I love this gambler still upset. The butt scoot. This right here. Scoot, 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 scoot. Yeah. <laughs> he's got the little baboon butt now. <laughs> it's so many of the boxing things are just so ridiculous the way he punches in this too yeah. it's just like but that had to have been exhausting doing that like if you ever just spin your arm like just spin it like he does in this it's a lot your arm gets really sore really quick here we go round one ding 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 bob the uppercut against the challenger he's got some <laughs> footwork he just wins him apparently I love that they're all all the way across the ring, and when he does that wind up as if he's like trying to do a haymaker, the guy like falls back on the ropes. It's like what these little <laughs> fists he's doing. He's down. He can't find him. He lost him. Oh, there he is. Okay, okay. <laughs> duck, 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 duck. It Jeez. is pretty impressive how he's able to duck that many times. But if you're the champ, like try a body blow. Dude. I love this. What's he doing with his feet and his hands? This like little penguin thing. <laughs> <laughs> so incredible again that looks like punch out that looks like it Mike does Tyson's it punch does out now me. that you say that i'm picturing king hippo <laughs> right? honestly it just feels like early computer games and i'm sure that this stunt that there it is 
that a lot of this is caricatured off of that. You know, it's like this is setting that tone in a lot of ways. And it's weird to think about how old a lot of these moves, again, because it's coming from vaudeville, they could be 100 years old already. I don't know. You know, it's wild. All right, so that was round one. Yeah. Round one, no decision. They're really, really obsessed with making sure Charlie Chaplin's thighs feel They're working his legs (laughs) a lot. They're just rubbing his thighs. He's rubbing his thighs. Everybody's rubbing his thighs. There's always one person in the crowd who's a little too excited. All right, round two. (laughs) Both of the managers get punched. I love it. I like that he does a kick there, too. Butt check. Oh, the, the, the hug. The boxer hug. And he punches himself. They both punch themselves in the face. (laughs) It's just, oh my God. And then he punches the ref. Nobody knows even what what they're doing. Okay. It's basically become a wrestling match at this point. Yes. Does he still have the horseshoe? No. Because that's a left hook right there. I was tracking that when I watched this the first time, and it I think you can definitively say no horseshoe. He's just suddenly good at boxing. He's just suddenly, okay, now he's good at it. There again, they keep, whenever, it's like nothing, nothing. It's no big deal. It's nothing. Whenever they knock the other guy down, it's no big deal. All right, that was round two. Round two, they got to work yep. those thighs. Time make to work the sure, thighs. Yep, make sure to get those thighs all ready to go. Oh, my God. I love how he's just hanging there. All right, now the puppies. See, there's a good example where they would have fixed that dog in contemporary yes. cinema. <laughs> CGI, the uh, the business of the dog's nether regions, yeah. On the big screen, do you have any idea how large those nards are? All right, here goes round three. We're, we're cooking. It takes out the ump, the ref. Sorry, I don't watch boxing. <laughs> I mean, nobody does anymore. <laughs> how many times can they go down? Because here they keep taking each other down. They're both just totally punch drunk. He punches himself in the face. Accidentally punches that guy. <laughs> and then he just falls. Not Who was that guy? Is that his corner man? I think that so. He, he punched out. Yeah. This is like the third time now. Notice that in the bottom right, it still says one. It still says yeah. round number one. Oh, doesn't he like flip it? He later? does. And that was another one of those moments where I laughed because I had noticed that. And I was like, what's going on? Are they not going to fix the round number? And then he flips it and it's like 21 or something. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. okay, okay. I think it's pretty. There he goes. I think he's going to do it here in a minute. It's just like, that's not right. We've been at. I do look at this though. And it's like, um, I don't know that you can get kids to necessarily watch this movie and still dig it. But I do think if you did a lot of his moves, they would laugh. So my six-year-old was watching the knockout with me and he was howling, you know, but again, he's six. So, and he's watching it cause I'm watching it. I don't think that he would pick it to watch. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. I guess my kid watched superhero movies. With yeah, me. <laughs> right. All right. So that was round three. Round three is over. They're getting the thigh rub. Here we go. Round four. He's going four rounds with Bob, the uppercut. Now they just chase each other around. Okay. So now the music just gets wild. And I'm pretty sure this is the last round and it's just going to be total nonsense. Like, <laughs> what are they doing? <laughs> I don't know, but I love that he falls on him yeah. for no reason. Just sits on him. <laughs> and I do think a key to a lot of this comedy is that Chaplin has the film sped up. Yeah. You know, like most silent movies are not quick like this, right. but Chaplin's always are for these shorts. They're always like maybe a third too quick. 
so that everything's believable, but it's just like the comedy plays so fast and you don't notice cuts like right there when he hits the ref and yeah. then suddenly he's on the ground. You don't quite <laughs> notice it as much because it's so much faster. I love how he stands there and waits while they try to get revive the ref. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> yeah. He looks so put out. All right, here's round five, I suppose. Or do we count that as a round? I don't know. No, there it's round goes, 20, dude. Flicking the, the placard. You can't hear the music, but man, it really picks up here. Very interesting that the, that it without the music would be paced almost the same. There's more people in the shot, maybe, but I don't know. Look at how crowded it is, and then the dog just. The movie's probably like forty minutes long if you don't have it sped up, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, but I I'm betting the dog they went regular speed when you first see him. He just wails. Look at this. Just just wham 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 wham. <laughs> just unloads on that guy <laughs> i heard one of the reasons why this short was so popular was because boxing was illegal in half the united states huh. but people really wanted to watch it and gamble on it and they would gamble based off of like accounts that they would hear in the newspaper and things like that so they were super excited to watch this movie and and see all of that stuff play out so he won but he's totally unconscious <laughs> <laughs> To the victor, the spoils. Just totally out of the blue. And they cover it like Looney Tunes. Just Looney Tunes at the end there. We're through the movie now, but there's got to be a little bit of discussion. It ends so abruptly. <laughs> We've seen two conventions here that may have been the start of those conventions. He wins the woman. Like right there, it says, to the victor, the spoils. The woman is the spoils. And the beer. It's so over. It comes out of nowhere. He meets her very briefly. I don't think she says anything. It's hard to say with a silent movie, but it doesn't look like she has any of the mouth-moving interactions. Maybe she does. All she does is watch him train, and then at the end, to the victor goes the spoils, and they do the thing where they cover it with the beer can and kiss because they don't want to be inappropriate in objectifying the woman. <laughs> <laughs> I love the modesty of the patriarchy where it's like, oh, we can't see them kiss as we make her into a trophy that he wins boxing for some reason. <laughs> I don't get it. And then, of course, the other thing that we should probably spend a second on is uh, we see a native with a full headdress that I'm pretty sure is commodifying somebody else for your company. Yeah. The documentary, when he signed, had a picture of him standing in a room with a bunch of people very happy signing a thing, as people do, and he had a huge headdress on, and I was just... I thought of In Whose Honor. You gotta earn that, man. You gotta earn that. It's not okay. Even the great dictator, Hitler had been calling him Jewish in the German press, and he was not. The last time he plays the Tramp character, he makes him Jewish just to set him aside from Hitler so that he can give that big speech when you finally hear him talk for the first time and the final time you see the character he gives this big speech on uh how fascism is evil you know humanity rejecting war it's such an i had heard that speech it's a famous speech i'm a public mm -hmm. speaking instructor and it is one of many famous speeches from cinema the fact that it's the first time audiences hear him speak that this is what he says and that it is not technically i guess officially a little tramp movie but that it's like deeply evocative he's like channeling this character that much is explicit i mean he's doing the character the entire time yeah it's explicit he said that that's what he's doing is channeling that character 
whether it's the character or not, doesn't matter. When you look at the way that he treats women, the misogyny of the era and also of the individual, it's unescapable and just really unfortunate when you look at everything else that he left as a legacy. It's such an incredible speech. It's a three minute something or other speech. And by the end of it, I'm out of breath. It's just a lot. And here's the thing with that speech, too, that they don't really talk about too much. The subtext of it is that sound has taken over the movies and I've been refusing to do sound and I should have that as a right to be able to to not do sound. And then he's also juxtaposing himself with Hitler because Hitler would give these big speeches using a microphone, which mm-hmm. was a new thing at the time. Yeah. Like it, it's hard to even imagine now that like the microphone hasn't been around. I love it. Even a hundred years. Lincoln was a shouter. I said, Lincoln just shouted. Yeah. here's the crazy thing have you ever heard that the person who invented the microphone he was super guilty about it because he really feels like he helped hitler rise to power Mm -hmm. because of having that microphone at rallies you have chaplin who's this big silent film star is like juxtaposing himself it's just really really interesting yeah and then once that movie comes out chaplin becomes this big political figure and starts saying things about communism gets himself on a list yep makes enemies with richard nixon don't want to do that when you look at the agency of his politics not only with the character but it's like is he making fun of poor people absolutely he is absolutely was he a poor clowning. person though he, he is a poor person and like well, deep down well I, yeah but <laughs> no but i mean like that's something that 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 folks talk about in the documentary a lot of people that know him it's like you don't forget that yeah like when you are raised in that capacity it burns itself into to you and you can make all the money in the world and it's never going to leave you they were saying it's like that desperation was such a huge part of his performance and his identity it's really self-defacing in a lot of ways because he's picking on himself and the people that he knows and loves so it comes from a place of identification sympathy empathy and love it is playing into many of the worst stereotypes that we use to mock poor folks and so when you look at the little tramp the podcast I was listening to was talking about how in the first couple of movies especially he's just an ass. he just goes around punching people and knocking people over and he doesn't really get this like enduring nature until a little bit later on in, in the character's development you know it's so complicated but at the same time his politics they are explicit at a time where that puts you on a list and then you don't work anymore unless you own everything and your name is Charlie Chaplin so he could afford to do that but it's wild like his legacy is an incredible one and this is a fun movie to watch I would really encourage people to watch this in the knockout it's an hour's worth of silent film I know that's a lot but seeing him as a bit part as the ref I said he really kind of steals the show and then you see the whole movie about him and and you can see sheer star power like Roscoe Arbuckle you can see what made him famous but this guy's just on a level people call him balletic holy cow what a performer and I just want to say one other thing about Charlie Chaplin too because I talked about how he pushed the medium forward in terms of like being an auteur in a lot of ways and lengthening those movies but also he started United Artists with some people yep you know like that is a very communist move in a way yeah but like that was the future of of Hollywood as well was like we need to start these other companies and that leads to unionization eventually of different departments so he's just like such a figure in Hollywood in so many ways good and bad that you just should have some kind of 
familiarity with them. And I think that this is a fun one because it's short. I would say ultimately, I would say The Great Dictator. Definitely like give that a spin at some point. Or City Lights. I think that's like really amazing too. So those are like silent movies when it's not in vogue anymore. Right. But they're really amazing. People talk about how it's hard for contemporary audiences to wrap our mind around Abraham Lincoln because he's just such a huge myth. He's like Santa Claus. He's been fictionalized beyond comprehension. And I feel like Charlie Chaplin's there. You see so much of him before you can ever see him on the screen because people don't hunt down these films anymore, right? But you see so much of his legacy, you can't miss it. He has left such a huge imprint on just clowning and slapstick in general, but also just on cinema. He's unescapable. And it makes it really hard, like I said earlier, to sit down and watch this like an audience seeing it for the first time. Like seeing this person emerge as a performer, as a superstar, as a global superstar. We watched a mockbuster. Remember when we watched, what was it, Sleeping Beauty or Snow White? Yeah, or yeah, one of those? Sleeping Beauty. Oh my God, the real roulette just totally punished us one week. <laughs> and we watched a, a, a mockbuster and there were like multiple Charlie Chaplin mockbuster people. They had the bowler hat and the cane and everything. Like they were all trying to do this guy. And he was just a shooting star all by himself. And it's so hard to wrap your head around what that would look like in real time and what it would be like to be that dude. Like I know that Robert Downey Jr. is in that movie from the 90s. Just so hard to do. But Iron Man played Charlie Chaplin (laughs) at one point and got nominated for an Oscar for doing it. Yeah. And the movie's apparently terrible and I kind of want to watch it. It would be so hard. I kind of want to watch it too. You cannot make this guy into one movie, you know? Like, I feel like there are some people that are too big for the biopic. Like, Malcolm X is too big for sure for a biopic. Charlie Chaplin's too big. You can't make an hour 40 that's like, there it is. (laughs) That's everything you need to know. wasn't Malcolm X like three hours? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the only way you can do it is it's got to be this huge, huge, huge thing. They've done Malcolm X in a variety of ways too. I mean, there's that One Night in Miami movie where it's like him and Muhammad Ali you could only have him in these little moments and I feel like with Charlie Chaplin it's so fascinating because his superstardom is obviously so interesting but it's really around 1914 1915 right around here he just makes a handful of movies and they go out into the world and there's no internet and there's none of that stuff to tell them that this is what happened and then apparently Halloween comes along and everyone on the planet dresses like the little tramp for Halloween and he's just blindsided by it and it's just so cool to think about. There was a famous impersonator named Charlie Applin and that kicked off this giant lawsuit because he said that he was stealing his image and he said no I was stealing it from this other Charlie Chaplin impression so it was an impression of an imp- impressionist <laughs> i don't know how the court case won but i can't imagine that holds a oh, lot of weight right <laughs> yeah typically the person with the biggest boat wins in the, the court so my guess is if you're getting sued by charlie chaplin you're settling or coming out on the business end of the law is probably my guess um what are your thoughts on this as a sports movie down on his luck gets a lucky horseshoe somehow becomes a boxer apparently we have a training montage by cheating with the lucky horseshoe it's only lucky yeah, but, but he didn't have the glove. horseshoe at the end you said like if he didn't have the horseshoe at the end then he goes up against bob uppercut at least five rounds maybe six maybe 20 i used to play poker a lot every now and again you would have somebody who sat down at the table and didn't know how to play poker yeah and they were so wild and they were so hard to handle because they didn't know if they had a good hand and so you couldn't even try to read them yeah they think they're bluffing 
and they're not. They back. I mean, I don't think that translates in real life, but I think that's what they're getting across is that like this dude just doesn't know what he's doing, so he's able to win. <laughs> you hear that, kids? You can go out there with Manny Pacquiao as long as you just get wild. You got a fighting chance. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's how it works in boxing, but maybe if you're the little tramp, it's boilerplate. He's down on his luck. He goes out for sports. He makes the team maybe with a little magic, a little extra luck, a little cheating. He trains. He has a montage. He meets a girl. Uh, we go to the big fight. We're in the locker room. He denies the gambler. And then he goes out there and he just does what he does, which is not boxing, but it wins the boxing <laughs> match. And so. If you want to be a boxer and be successful, have a bulldog in your corner. That's what we've learned from this movie and Rocky, is if you got a bulldog, it goes a long way, especially if they bite the pants of the champion. Huge ceramic jug of beer. That'll also do it. It's lots and lots of beer. (laughs) I'm really glad I watched this movie for work. This is a good example of a movie I never would have watched if it weren't for work, which really does make your point that maybe humor is not timeless. But at the same time, I laughed the first time I saw it. And just now watching it with you, I was laughing even more because I'm picking out just all the goofy stuff. You know, I I don't know that I really saw him accidentally smash that guy with the big mallet weights when he was in the locker room the first time. You know, he does it so many times, though. And it is so definitively like of course he does it's like they're carrying the ladder they turn around they turn around again bonk bonk now they're missing teeth and tweeting birds and like i get it it's just so basic even if that vaudeville thing goes back as far as it does this is the guy just exploding it on the screen there are other silent actors they're all doing the same stuff from vaudeville i'm sure but this is the guy that makes the biggest splash doing it i don't know it's cool and it's also an adaptation and the first time you see something in a new form it matters it really does. You know, it, it does matter. Even if everybody's doing it, and even if anyone could do it like you the first time you do it, if you're the first one to do it, it's definitively formative in a lot of ways. It's interesting to me. I found myself thinking Charlie Chaplin is like, you know, the, the major motion picture superstar of the era. How many just, you know, stinkers? How many movies were people seeing? Where are the definitive movies that, that barely anybody saw? They're lost. You know, there's like a whole, yeah, there's like a whole cosmos of these movies that defined the imagination of all sorts of people that we'll never know about and that's i mean wild. you look at a guy like george milius who just coincidentally i was watching a trip to the moon we talked about it and then i watch a haunted castle yeah because trip to the moon is the first sci-fi movie ever made it's really famous it's the one where you see the, the rocket going to the moon's eye yeah, the moon and then nights. the haunted castle is the first <laughs> horror movie which like is not scary spoiler alert it's really incredible and this guy was just a magician and then he was like oh i can do this with cameras like this is a way i can do magic tricks which is really what continues on in the movies that guy did like 700 short films something like that yeah they're all like a minute to 15 minutes long probably and there's just tons of them and you sit there and you look through it on wikipedia lost restored i'd say half of them are still around and half of them are just they'll probably never be found yeah and unless they are because sometimes that happens too where suddenly somebody opens a vault and they're like oh for example nosferatu Mm. that movie is sued by bram stoker's widower because it's ripping off dracula 
And so she has all the copies destroyed and they all were destroyed except for one. One sat in this guy's vault in Europe. And then after the copyright went out, he like went and sold it. And then all of a sudden the world has Nosferatu. Now, when you watch it, it's all based off of that one print that was saved. And that could have been just another lost movie. But instead, it's like an iconic movie now. You you think of the original edits of Star Wars and George Lucas's uh, (laughs) war of aggression against the memory of the world. Yeah. And how you have to be really careful to watch the original if you want to see the original. I was thinking to myself when the internet came out and definitely now with TikTok, there's this thing where it's like if you google it someone's doing it and someone's doing it better than you they're doing it really well it's like you want to see someone juggle knives you want to see someone do literally anything and the internet will bring it to you and you can watch them do that when cinema happens right about you know in the 1900s all of a sudden like yeah like comedians jugglers slapstick people they come through town there's like troops and if you're in a big city there's like major theaters that have this and you can go see that when the cinema shows up it's like several times a day you can go watch charlie freaking chaplin like charlie chaplin is in your town he's just in your town and he's in this little movie house and you can go four times a day if that little moment where he slips the police i will rewound that because it's 2020 three and i'm using the internet and you know if it was on vhs you could rewind it back then you'd have to come back and see it again you have to buy another ticket and come back and sit there and watch it again and when it left the theater you would never see that movie again <laughs> it would just be gone forever but it's so weird to think that like talent shows you know traveling minstrels that's something that exists but when cinema shows up it is like the biggest best talent in the world is in your town and you can go watch it it's just mind-blowing what a huge development just as far as entertainment where people would go their whole lives without seeing the equivalent of like a a Broadway production and then all of a sudden Charlie Chaplin is in everyone's town for weeks at a time it's wild we're starting to get a little long in the tooth that phrase they said that on the good life and I was going to use it myself here as we were getting a little long Biggs I'm pumped for uh, our new season of Fields of Glory this is a great way to start absolutely what are we doing next week next week we are kicking off the first batch we are watching 1945's National Velvet, a headstrong jockey and a young English girl work together to turn an unbreakable horse into a champion. to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. We don't want to hate and despise one another. In this world, there's room for everyone, and the good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful, but we have lost the way. Greed has poisoned men's souls, has barricaded the world with hate, has goose-stepped us into misery and bloodshed. We have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. Our knowledge has made us cynical, our cleverness hard and unkind. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. Without these qualities, life will be violent. 
and all will be lost. The aeroplane and the radio have brought us closer together. The very nature of these inventions cries out for the goodness in men, cries out for universal brotherhood, for the unity of us all. Even now, my voice is reaching millions throughout the world, millions of despairing men, women, and little children, victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people, and so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't give yourselves to brutes, men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, and what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men, with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You are men. You have the love of humanity in your hearts. You don't hate. Only the unloved hate. The unloved and the unnatural. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery. Fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke, it is written, the kingdom of God is within man. Not one man, nor a group of men. But in all men, in you, you, the people, have the power. The power to create machines. The power to create happiness. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful. To make this life a wonderful adventure. Then in the name of democracy, let us use that power. Let us all unite. Let us fight for a new world. A decent world that will give men a chance to work, that will give youth a future and old age a security. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us fight to free the world, to do away with national barriers, to do away with greed, with hate and intolerance. Let us fight for a world of reason. A world where science and progress will lead to all men's happiness. Soldiers, in the name of democracy, let us all unite! Okay, kiddo, I lost my library of sound, so I need you to do some sound effects for me. I don't want to do this, Dad. Look, I'm just trying to put food on the table, but if you don't want to help... All right. Hear Biggs Chronicle, a galaxy of genres. Listen to the deconstruction of film on A Cosmic Void. Charles is a Purple Heart recipient and cinematographer. Aaron is a professor and critical cultural scholar. Together they explore the narrative, effective, and production politics of war cinema on Real War Project. That's R-E-E-L, War Project. Finally, a podcast that's dedicated to talking about your favorite sports movies. Whether you want to hear a breakdown of the plot, arguments about who's the MVP of the film, or crit and lit about it, you'll find it all on Fields of Glory. Listen to the show that will help you have a better life with your beloved pets. It handles topics like proper food, nutrition, positive reinforcement, training, and more. Certified dog behavior consultant Charlotte Peltz welcomes your pet concerns and questions in the podcast, Living With Your Dog. Zach and Matt are two horror enthusiasts of varying experience discussing horror movies through the scope of content, context, and comedy. They'll hit on the good ones and the classics, but they're really excited for the bad ones. Listen to Watch No Evil. You can find all of Breadwood Sound Lab shows at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts.